Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. On my show today, I am joined for the third time by a friend of mine, Dr. Kelsey Beach. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me again. So we've got some new topics to talk about. So Dr. Kelsey Beach is a pelvic floor therapist. You may remember her from a few previous episodes. The first one, really, we just got into talking about what pelvic floor therapy was and what pelvic health was all about. And then we had one of um, my most favorite episodes, which was lubrication has a bad reputation, talking all about lube. Mm -hmm. I love the episode. I get so much good feedback about that episode because people learned so much from you. Good. That's what's important. Absolutely. So I'm having Kelsey on today because she's had some changes in her life this year. Uh, Kelsey's expecting your first child. So congratulations. Thank you. Now, I know you've helped a lot of people with what goes on with their bodies after a baby. So Mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk about that today, as well as just some of the things that we don't tend to talk about when it comes to pregnancy, yeah, especially sex and pregnancy. Yes. But first, I get asked this a lot. I mean, I have mothers come to me who are, you know, a few months out or even a few years out and still experiencing some issues. And also women who have young children or even teenagers who sometimes share that they don't know that their bodies ever really, truly recovered from pregnancy. Others who are Mm -hmm. just fine. But Yeah. yeah, there's a lot that can go on. There is a lot that can go on. Yes. I don't even know where to start with all this stuff. (laughs) I know. I'm kind of like, ooh, how do we even start? I think like the best thing, the best way to start is what another um, provider in the postpartum world told me. And she's like, once you have a baby, you are always postpartum. And there's nothing wrong with that. And Mm -hmm. I think we have this unrealistic expectation that postpartum only lasts for six months to a year. I have moms come in who see me four weeks after the baby who say, I really don't have any symptoms. I just kind of want to get back to the way my life was with maybe working out or vacuuming without pain. And then Mm -hmm. I have moms that see me kind of like you said, that have teenagers that say, well, I've been peeing my pants since my first kid was born 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's recovery looks so different. And everyone's expectations and everyone's goals look different. Like I've had moms come see me um, postpartum that are training for the Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. And then I've had moms that come see me that just say, I want to be able to vacuum without my C-section scar pulling. Mm -hmm. And both of those goals warrant the same amount of love and attention from your providers because no one's goals better or different. They're just what the needs are for that person. And so what so many women don't realize is that birthing a child is traumatic. Like it is a major surgery, whether you have a cesarean or you have a vaginal delivery. Um, And the body A needs time to heal and Mm -hmm. has to just establish a new normal. And so realizing that and knowing like, you're not going to go back to what your body was before you had the baby and that's okay. And just taking the time to learn, like, what does my new normal normal want to look like and setting realistic goals to meet those. And that's kind I think of like, that's kind of a good Everyone's kind point. of used to that new <laughs> turn at new normal. Yes. That's that has become part of our vernacular. Very true. Very true. So, so yeah, just really educating moms, like in the postpartum phase, whether it's four weeks or 12 years later of just relearning their body um, and the areas that were affected, meaning the pelvic floor, the core, the back, and setting that body up for success for the goals that they want to attain is kind of how I take on postpartum. 
Relearning your body is exactly something that I help women focus on, especially, yes, their genitals, but also their breasts, especially if they breastfed. Yes, very true. Um, I was very unprepared for boob changes. I have been Mm -hmm. and like barely A my whole entire life. And when I was younger, I was really ashamed of it. And I just wanted to have bigger boobs. Then I got comfortable with them. Now they've grown and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm very, (laughs) and I'm like, I told my mom. I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. I don't mean to no, laugh at you. No, it's fine because it's, it's hilarious. And I like all the females in my family are standard D cups. Like mm-hmm. they're all petite women, short statures and D cups. And I'm like, I never want that. And I told my mom, I was like, mom, I sat down on the toilet the other day and my boobs touched my belly. And she was like, it's going to get worse. And so that's mm-hmm. like, I'm glad you bring that up too, because we don't think about how when breasts grow. They mm-hmm. affect your whole thoracic spine yes, and nursing. And I mean, that whole postural change is a huge component of what pelvic PT can even treat. And mm-hmm. we don't realize that. And, and it's, it's a gnarly change. And yeah, I'm terrified. Like I had to go buy a B bra for the first time since I was like 13. And I was like, oh, this is going to get these are going to get bigger and nursing's mm-hmm. going to change it. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that up because yeah, that's a whole nother change. It is. I mean, I, I've been large breasted my whole life. So I, again, I'm not trying to like giggle or laugh or things like that, but yes, <laughs> the things that, that you just don't realize that no, it, oh man, it affects your back so yes. much to have large uh-huh. breasts. Yeah. And, and yeah, pregnancy is one of those times where a lot of women for the first time have some of those things and it affects your whole body and hundred percent. I, I, I've only had one pregnancy lasted to seven weeks. Uh, it, it significantly changed my body in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like I, because that pregnancy didn't last, I feel like I've almost been given more license to talk about some of the things that I experienced. Yeah. I hear a lot of my friends who you know, carry a baby to term share that they often feel a lot of pressure to sort of glamorize their pregnancy oh, and, and to pretend yes. like everything's just fine. Even though my, <laughs> feel like my body's being ripped to shreds from the inside and my back yeah. hurts and I can't sleep. And yes. And so I, mean, I do want to talk about some of these things, oh, like please, not, not yes. just, not, not just post baby. I mean, you, you do see a lot of that stuff obviously, but mm-hmm. can we, please be honest for a little while about some of the things that are not very fun about pregnancy that we just sort of push aside. A hundred percent. That's what What I love. What are some of the top things for you? So big thing for me, um, my clothes don't fit and Mm -hmm. my body just totally changed. And I literally have, my husband makes some me, I have a pair of my pregnancy sweatpants I wear them every single minute of the day that I'm pretty much not at work or running. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, you're right. We glamorize pregnancy. We have all these beautiful maternity clothes. We, you have these women on social media that look bombshells and everyone's like, oh, you get the pregnancy glow and be like, bitch, nothing's glowing. Like everything's just uncomfortable. Like, yes. And, and I'm tired And I had to buy all new underwear to fit my growing belly. Like that was, Mm -hmm. I bought my first set of jockey, like adult women's underwear um, Mm -hmm. from Kohl's. I bought one color of every one. I bought like six pairs. Um, That was even difficult for me just to say my underwear had to change. And Mm -hmm. um, as we mentioned, like my breast changing in size. And I've been a runner for majority of my adult life. Running has completely changed because now on every long run that I do, and I'm only up to five miles, that's, that's my long runs right now. Um, I can only run on trails because I have to pee off the side of the trail at least two times. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuff and my sensation and my breast changed, my sensation and my genitals changed. I've been very lucky in that my symptoms have been really mild. Like I don't have morning sickness. I never did. Um, my sleeping did take a hit, but just 
everything changed and you get vaginal discharge that no one wants to talk about. That's another thing. Um, I was out walking the other day, my dogs moved on their leash and I leaked a little bit, not prepared mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. And so there's just, there's a lot of really non-pretty things about pregnancy that I think as women, we just tend to push under the rug because we want this to live up to the society expectation of this is the most beautiful time in your life. Yeah. And I don't think it is. And as those things are sort of happening and you're trying to like make all these adjustments, what is, what is that doing for your mindset? Oh, it's and you're, crushing And you're just like, it. you're, you're, mm. it's, it's, it's crushing it, but in a way that said, okay, here's the cards I'm dealt with. Here's what I need to learn to deal with moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. And I, so I think, I think if you're, I'm the kind of person where I will revel in a pity party for a good day. I will let myself be emotional and really live in that. But then the next day I wake up and I think, okay, I had this bad day. How can I learn from it? Mm -hmm. And how can I move forward with it? And so my mindset has been a roller coaster of emotions with pregnancy. But I think every moment that I have those days is just, okay, now other side of the coin, how can I apply this to my practice for women that I'm working with? Mm -hmm. And how can I set myself up for success for the next few weeks, months to come? Because this is going to happen again. Yeah. Um, so the mindset, yeah, that's a great question. It's been... It's been really hard, but it's also really made me want to be a lot more open and transparent about all of the negative stuff that does, not negative, but all the changes that go on in pregnancy that people don't want to talk about and glamorize. Yeah. It's not, it's not so much about the things being negative. Like you say, it's just about it not being all sunshine and rainbows yes. and, and Instagram worthy. Oh, yes. This, I'm not living in Instagram where they pregnancy at all. Like, I don't know how, and I don't want to spend the time because then what's, I'm going to have to change out of my pregnancy sweats and I just don't want to. I love, <laughs> I love the pregnancy photo shoots, like having a photo shoot that yes. you like, you know, it does yeah. that. That's one thing, but yes, I've definitely seen some pages that it's nearly every day. I'm like, do you wear just a flowy dress and have like ringlets in your hair and a wreath all, all day long? Like, is this how you move about life? Yeah. Yes. I see that too. And I just think that's not me. No. And it's a very, it's a very specific type of person and probably was already a person seeking a certain type of, um, attention on social yes, media. So but let's true. be real. The other 95% of women <laughs> who are pregnant are not going through uh, the pleasantries that so many people like to pretend that they are. Yes. Very true. But there's also not true. room to talk about. That's the problem is that most people are not having that kind of pregnancy, but most nope. people aren't given the license to talk about it. Very true. But I think our license should be more open to talk about it because mm -hmm. I think the more honest we are, the more that we can feel comfortable in the bodies that we now have growing humans because they're uncomfortable. They're weird. Like it's just a very, it's a very odd shape and sensation you take on. I think with pregnancy, that's how my body's really perceiving it and recognizing that. And my, my sister loves being pregnant. She's had two kids, two pregnancies, two kids. They want at least four. and ever since I've been pregnant, she's like, I just can't wait to be pregnant again. You just make me want to be pregnant. And the other day she asked me, she's like, don't you love it? And I said, no. And I think that really took her aback. And I said, but I don't hate it anymore. And mm -hmm. that was a huge moment for me that I didn't, I was accepting what my body was changing and doing. And that was really a really pivotal point for me to say, I don't have to love this. And mm -hmm. if I want to hate it, I can. But recognizing I'm going to live in between that spectrum of emotions is really okay. Yes. Yes. And that's the whole thing that I talk with clients about a lot. A lot of people feel guilty for, for feeling guilty or feeling mm -hmm. sad or not mm -hmm. satisfied, dissatisfied, mm -hmm. you know, 
Mm-hmm. And they aren't okay with, even if they land, their final emotion is acceptance or happiness or like, yeah, everything's going to be fine. They feel guilt for having a moment of, this is not okay. I don't like this, but it's okay to experience that whole entire spectrum of yes. human emotions as you process a situation. Yes. Agreed. And it can fluctuate from day to day a little bit too. Like even oh. if you're, you want this child, you're happy you're building a family, but that doesn't mean you have to absolutely love every aspect of creating this life. No, not at all. That's such a good way to put it. Cause I remember in my first trimester, it took us about six months to get pregnant. We started in December and we didn't find out we, we had our first positive in June and I thought, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. And I come from a family of women where their husbands look at them, they get pregnant. That's, we come from a very fertile female field. And, Mm -hmm. and so I remember thinking, well, shoot, that's not happening to me. So I got really kind of caught up in it, which another thing that really changed our sex. And then once we got pregnant and my body started changing, I thought, oh, I don't love this. I don't Mm -hmm. love, I was getting mild nausea. Things were just changing and growing. I was very hormonal. Um, I couldn't eat the foods I was normally eating. I have always Mm -hmm. been like a heavy leafy green person. I love vegetables. I couldn't look at vegetables. I could not eat a salad. And it just changed my day to day. And I remember I felt so much guilt and shame for feeling a negative emotion about being pregnant. When for six months, all I wanted to be was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I remember I just sat and cried and I thought, I feel so guilty. But then I thought, okay, revel in this for a minute, realize that and be okay with that emotion for a little bit, have it and then move on from it. And the next day, like you said, it might change a little bit and shift. And, and sure enough, it did. And every day was always a different emotional component. And accepting it was the best thing I could do and not fighting it. What you just shared is so real and honest and not the first time that I've heard it from a woman, but Mm -hmm. there are going to be people listening to this who are like, man, that was me. And just are going to feel such a sense of relief just hearing someone else say that. So thank you. You're welcome. I do want to go back to something that you mentioned because mm-hmm. I hear this from clients too when they're trying to the and and this is something we focus on in sex coaching as part of our training is helping the couples who are trying to conceive because it can drastically alter the way that you're trying to have sex. So yes, you mentioned that that changed. So can I ask what changed for you all? What kind of what 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 I guess you mentioned that it wasn't very satisfactory. So no, what shifted? It was this, everything shifted and it was a hundred percent how I took on the shift. So I am a very type A structured planning person. And so my approach to getting pregnant was, I know what day I ovulate. That's the day we need to have sex. And then that's it. And so we've never had this really crazy, spontaneous sex life. It's we're, we're not exciting by any means. We're not boring by any means. It fits us well. But when we were trying to conceive, I had this mindset of, okay, here's this fertile window that we need to have sex during, and there's no other time. And it became the life that I live of the structured, scheduled, intimate time, which put a lot of strain on our intimacy, on our personal lives, and how we engaged in our intimacy. And I remember my husband, he's like, well, I'm pretty sure you just have sex at any point during the month and you get pregnant. I was like, that's not how this works. Like I know more than you. And it was Mm -hmm. like, and I got put off by that statement. And so it just changed. And we went from, you know, having our couple intimate times during the week to saying, okay, this is the week that we need to be intimate. We need to try to have Cause I also read way too much on the internet and it's like, you should have sex every day when you're ovulating, you should have sex every other day. Um, so I followed both those methods. So some weeks, some weeks during the month, we'd have sex every single day, which is exhausting for a planner because it's how do we shift our lives for that? Or we do it every other day, which 
just almost was worse. And so it really just changed how I approached intimacy. And then the way that I was feeling it really rubbed off onto him and it became very boring and sex became more of a chore than a simple pleasure that my husband and I were enjoying. Mm -hmm. And that was really difficult. And a big thing that changed with that was how my body approached arousal with even lubrication, with sensation, and it became a chore. And I've always told all my patients, like, sex should never be a chore. Um, When I'm working with a patient with pain, we Mm -hmm. might make it therapeutic, but I never want sex to be a chore. Mm -hmm. So it became a chore for us. And... I remember this other couple that we know, they're like, yeah, you just have to quit caring. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. And I got so just angry with that comment. It was this guy. I was like, you're a guy. You're just being chauvinistic. You don't know how the body works. And sure enough, the month that I didn't track any ovulation, I didn't track when we were having sex was the month we got pregnant. I was like, damn it. (laughs) Everything I wanted just went against me. I have been biting but, my tongue through this whole story. Yeah, because it was like the minute I just let go, because I also had a major hip surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two weeks before I found out I was pregnant. So mm-hmm. I was probably pregnant during my surgery, but I just didn't have enough HCG hormone present. But yeah. um, it was that it was that month that I just said, you know, I don't care about it this month. I'm having surgery it's not even a good time to get pregnant. And that's when I got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, that's still a hard pill for me to swallow to say I was wrong. And the structured planned lifestyle that I wanted to lead with our sex was just toxic for us. Mm -hmm. And it was hard and it just changed everything. And it sucked. (laughs) But you know, you're not the only one out there who's trying to conceive mm-hmm. that goes through this exact same thing. So mm-hmm. again, thank you for sharing that to help normalize that this is often what happens. And and again, the final outcome of as soon as you stop trying, yes. you get pregnant is yes. generally how it happens. So, I know, and it's bullshit. It's bullshit for us <laughs> type A planners. <laughs> but you know, I think there is there is something to be said about... When you have stress, you know that that changes the neurotransmitters that are in your body. And what effect is that having on, say, you know, we know that the egg has to travel from the ovary through the fallopian tube, you know, Mm -hmm. get fertilized and then travel to the uterus to get implanted. Mm -hmm. You know, do we really know exactly how all of our neurotransmitters have an effect on those things? We know how they affect like our muscles, right? Yeah. And how they tense us up. So maybe there is just something to be said about it's all of the things you do need that spontaneity to be relaxed in it. Um, and, and also again, the, the planning thing. So many couples get into just having sex when they're ovulating. Yep. And again, while you're not alone in that, it always makes me go, but why? If you were having sex the rest of the month normally, yeah. Why not just have a little more sex during that time and keep the rest of what you were doing as it was? Like, I, like your like homeostasis is what it was, and then you're just adding a little bonus. Yeah, uh, and and you were a hundred percent right. But the thing was, what I was reading online was not saying that, and so that was my fault. And I, because I was like, "What's the best way to get pregnant?" And they're like, "Have sex every day during your ovulating." Well, I'm like, well, if we have sex that many times during that week, like, I don't know if I want to do it the next week. And it should, I mean, it was probably sure enough the next week after I ovulated is probably when I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just interesting. And we have, I was amazed and I talked to a lot of patients about this, that as women or even men growing up, we're always taught, don't get pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. Yeah, but what we delay, should have been, delay, delay. Yeah, yeah. What we should have been educating also on is saying, but when you're ready for that time, whatever point in your life that is, here's what trying to conceive looks like, and here's mm-hmm. what it looks like physically, mentally, emotionally, and here's how to navigate it. Because mm-hmm. I was very naive to how hard it was to get pregnant, and 
it blew my mind. And literally kind of the stars had to align on a full moon. Like I did a rain dance the night before and I was just chill. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I think we really, as a society, miss the mark in saying, trying to conceive as a natural part of life, let's educate you on it. Mm -hmm. And really do that because there's so many facets of it that men and women just are clueless about. Yeah. And, and it's a very emotional component too, when it doesn't work out, like every negative pregnancy test I got did not want me to be intimate with my husband or be like mm -hmm. true with myself. Cause mm -hmm. then you think I'm broken. And even then teaching women and men how to take that negative pregnancy test in a different light would be just so beneficial because, mm -hmm. no, and that's not, I mean, and no one really wants to share their trying to conceive stories. That's, that's one thing I really learned on my, like when we were trying to conceive, no one really wants to talk about, Oh, you had a nightly pregnancy test like me too. Let's talk about it. We kind of mm -hmm. just pushed it down and said, oh, we'll just, we'll deal with this next month. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. You bring up a important point there that the negative pregnancy test doesn't make you go like, okay, well time to keep trying. Like, yeah. No, it just like, makes you feel like shit. I didn't, what did, yeah. Or what did I do wrong? What's wrong mm -hmm. with me? You know? Mm -hmm. And we had kind of said, we'll give it six months before we look into any testing procedures. That's what, mm -hmm. that was our rule. We said six months because I'm, I'm 34. My husband's 38 and we're by no means spring chickens, but we're not expired. And so we said, right. six months will be our, our marker line. And then as that six months approached, I remember I started thinking, I just thought, what is this going to look like? And that was even, mm -hmm. an, then there was another heavy emotional More anxiety. Component. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, and I just thought, well, I don't know if I want to be intimate. And, um, yeah, it was just interesting and really hard. And that was, that was a part of the journey that I don't think I was prepared for or properly educated on. Mm -hmm. You're right. There's not a lot of resources And it. Let me ask, it sounds like those resources were so focused on just what to do during ovulation, but not the rest of the month. Yes. They weren't true. focused on how do you just build good intimacy so yes. that that's again, just the baseline. And then what you do during your ovulation is again, just bonus. Yeah. And that's, mm. I wish I would have had more of that conversation before mm. we started to try because I did like, I set us up for failure and my husband would never agree to that, but that's how I felt. And now that I've been through this once, I think, okay, when we do want to start trying to conceive again, and who knows when that's going to be, we need to be sure in the months leading up to when we start trying that we just have a sit down conversation and say, what does our intimacy look like? How do we want it to be now? So that when we start trying to conceive, we can still maintain this level and as you said, enjoy the extra during ovulation phase. There you go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Any couples out there that are struggling, use this, use what you just heard or call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely call Kristen. <laughs> yeah. And that's because that's the thing is I think we look, we really look at pregnancy, mental health so much more in postpartum not in the try and conceive phase or the pregnancy phase. And mm -hmm. there's so much on it that just needs to be talked about and normalized. Yeah. I agree. It's hard. I feel like I had several friends in my life who were very honest about pregnancy and that's part of why I decided it just wasn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it, it, I have the utmost respect for people that have children and that want to go through it. Like kudos to you. Like I, I wish you the best. I hope you raise wonderful, tiny humans who believe in justice and equality. And then, <laughs> you know, for me though, I just, there was once I had that one pregnancy and what I went through with that and then trying to conceive in the second marriage, never getting pregnant. I just finally realized like, it's just, I don't think this is for me and that's okay. Yeah. And that is okay. And that's another thing too, that I wish society talked about more of, because we, I think we're seeing it a lot more is 
individuals, couples who just say, no, we don't want kids. Like, I think that's awesome. And kind of how you say, like, you respect those who have kids. I fully respect those that don't have them. And I think it's an awesome decision. And, and then even one kid families, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot I'm of an shame. Only. In, yeah. There's a lot of shame that I think comes from families that are just only child families. And there's this expectation that you have to have multiple. And I think it's awesome that for those that choose not to, or choose to have one or whatever oh, yeah, route they want to take. I know my parents got shamed for only having one. And then there were yeah. people who were like, oh, your old parents only have one kid. Okay. And I'd, I'd have to explain like, well, my mom and dad tried after me. They just couldn't. And then yeah. it was like, it made it okay that I was an only child after that. Yeah. And how, how much bullshit is that? That like you had to justify that to some asshole on the playground. Like right? that didn't understand what your family was going through. Or how babies are even made for that, like, matter. Or, like, it's my fault that my parents couldn't reproduce yeah. after me. Or yeah. it's, not like, it's not like my parents thought I was so perfect they didn't want any more. <laughs> There's that side of the coin, too. Because that's the real truth. Like, they tried to get, give more siblings to me so that I would level out. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had lots but, of friends around. I was good at sharing. I was not a brat, bratty-only child. See, I was the youngest and I was a brat, like, and I wasn't Mm -hmm. good at, I'm still not good at sharing. Like (laughs) (laughs) there's a type A right there. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, you know, and, and again, normalizing some of the things that aren't always great during pregnancy. Can we talk Mm -hmm. about sex during pregnancy? Yeah. A hundred percent. So a lot of things change and I just want to have a really honest conversation about that. What have, what have, what's been your experience? So things had a shift while you're trying to conceive, but what have things been like since you've been pregnant? So the first trimester, as I mentioned, I struggled a lot with like a lot of guilt and shame. Um, I didn't love what pregnancy was doing to my body. My, my main symptom for pregnancy was bloat. I've struggled with bloat most of my adult life. And I, I looked probably six months pregnant when I was even like two months pregnant and I didn't understand it, but that was just, that was my main symptom and was bloating from hormones. And so I didn't feel sexy at all. I mean, I was so uncomfortable. I didn't want my stomach touched. I didn't really even want to see it. I don't want my husband to see it. So aesthetically and self-esteem wise, that really changed for me. And my husband has loved everything that's grown on me. I mean, he thinks this is my sexiest time. And that's really an awesome thing to have his support in that. But that was really hard for me in the beginning was for me to be comfortable in my own body with mm-hmm. the changes, because I, I didn't feel pregnant until I felt the baby move, which for me was 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so in those first 18 weeks, I just felt fat, like fat bloated in a manner that I couldn't control. And I was really uncomfortable with it. So kind of in the first few weeks, that's really what I struggled with. Um, and then as I progressed, and then I actually got bigger from the baby, I mean, if he hit one area internally, we had to stop and I had to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so I remember we were intimate like a few weeks ago. And I think it took us three different tries. And I think I peed two different times. And thank goodness we were able to just laugh about it. Mm-hmm. But figuring out positions that were best for my body um, has been really interesting. And that changed. And just clitoral stimulation really changed for me as well. It heightened tremendously Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's too much. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting shift and change. And just, and I think, and I work with a lot of patients with this too, is communication in in bed is sometimes just as important as the action in bed and learning how to tell my husband, Hey, you can't do that because I don't like how that feels. Figuring out the right words for that conversation um, has been a new, a navigation point for us too. Cause I, I've, and I'm big on neutral world. So I don't like to say, stop that hurts or stop. That doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always try to say, 
Hey, can we pause? Can you adjust? Can you slow down? Can we, can you lighten up can your we touch? change positions? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a very important point because the way mm-hmm. that you frame how you need your partner to make a shift can make or break that moment. Because as, yes. like you say, if you're getting into your know, negative framework with stop that hurts, you know, it pulls them out of mm-hmm. the moment and yes, you know, creates worry or just, it just shakes things up. But if you can find the right words, like you say, framing it positively and yeah. your tone matters too, that yes, it may hurt, but you'd be like, Oh, okay. We need to change positions. Can we try on our side rather than yeah. like, Ow, fuck that hurt. Yes. <laughs> like, minute, which is probably yes. what you're thinking. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. I'm thinking that, but you have to communication is so important between the sheets. And yeah. so navigating that, and we've been lucky that we've always had a very open communication relationship and we've been able to talk about that but um and just figuring out like different positions so and I've even learned so my placenta is posterior so I literally on the whole front side of my there's literally like my uterus like my abdominals my uterus my baby and so Mm -hmm. if he hits more anterior in my vaginal vault it feels very heavy pressure anterior so mm-hmm. even learning that position and saying, oh, this just doesn't, I haven't, I don't even think I've tried to be on top because I just don't mm-hmm. know how I can handle it. Uh, and then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the double-edged sword was, was I'd also had just had hip surgery. So, yeah. so our first couple of weeks were pretty boring sex wise, but we navigated it. And, um, I think another thing that goes very unsaid is you have a lot more vaginal discharge and you have a lot new vaginal odors. And Mm. that for me has been more difficult because I get very embarrassed and shameful about it. And I just don't want to be thought of as like unclean. And so I've had to ask my as teens, right? Yep. Have to have a clean vagina. It has to smell just right. And like roses and Mm -hmm. no vaginas just totally change. Can I ask? Yeah. Is it is it like akin to feeling like you've got a yeast infection or bacterial vaginosis? Um, so not necessarily. Some of the odor can be like that. Uh-huh. It's just almost smells more, yeah, yeasty or bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had enough of those to realize I'm not having one, but you have you do have a certain. I can't think of what the name of the discharge is that happens during more during your second trimester, and and so yeah, that happens and it's. It's just present. And sometimes during our sex, we both can smell my vaginal odor and it's not sexy, but it's, it, that's the cards we're dealt. And so no one told me about that. Mm-hmm. No one mentioned that to me. And mm-hmm. I have a fear too, that I'm going to pee during sex because sometimes mm-hmm. he hits my bladder and it just changes things and recognizing that change as common has been hard. Um, cause yeah, that was just a big, a big shift and, um, everything's everything that we've done safe. Like there's really kind of no limitations on sex for pelvic floor, but it's funny too. Baby doesn't like it. So when we're intimate, baby just moves way up and that's <sighs> just a little uncomfortable. Like, yeah. So it's on your lungs. Yeah. Like, so, and so, and that's another thing, like my breathing's different and mm-hmm. some days it's just, Hey, can I just lay on my side and will you scratch my back? And then mm-hmm. we can be intimate. And so that's been a big change. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that if you don't mind, I could throw out as recommendations to help yes. with some of those things. Please. Um, so I, I mean, I even have the wedge pillow system, but those wedge yeah. pillows, like Liza Wood makes them when there's like, I think the actual brand is the wedge, but you've seen uh-huh. them on Meet the Clockers, Barbara Streisand's yeah. clients are there at her house. It's, uh, it's the elderly couple. So that's usually what people think of for the wedge pillow system, but they're really for anyone who's got, you know, issues, like you say, a hip issue or a back issue. Mm-hmm. They are elderly or they're pregnant. Yes. Um, so it's a set of two pillows that are um, two different triangular shapes that you can pop underneath you or underneath your legs. You can, you know, put it underneath you. If, if like rear penetration, like a doggy style is comfortable, you know, having something to actually like lay on. So like your belly's supported and your hips are supported. 
Yes. Um, so maybe wedge pillow system would be a, a good investment. And I also, it could help you as you're sleeping too. Oh, yes. Very true. Um, also, sex in the shower is uh, a great way for people who are sort of worried about those bladder issues because, you know, if you just have like the, the shower running and you just need to pull out for a second, pee, go back to it. Easy enough for yes. cleanup and re-entry. Yes. I like it. Squirters. I tend to recommend yeah. that squirters do it in the shower. If they're oh, worried that's about, a like, good point. I just, yeah. I just don't have time to clean up the sheets. Well, yes. do it in the shower. <laughs> shower is great for that. You are correct. Yeah. And those are two good things that just, these aren't conversations I'm having with everyone and mm -hmm. just getting that. I'm like, oh, cause I've, I remember I've recommended the wedge to patients and we, we do like shower sex. We just haven't really had it since we moved into our new house. So maybe we just need to christen our shower and see there how you that go. goes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. Yes. Well, I tell you what, I want to take a quick break. And then I after the break, um, I want to talk a little bit more, I mean, obviously about what we've been talking about with sex and pregnancy yeah. and some of the, I, say, I, I feel like I, I want to follow more up on like, what, what women can do during pregnancy to sort of pre prepare themselves. I don't know if there's like yeah. exercises you recommend. Um, and then again, what are some, let's get deeper into the stuff that maybe is on your mind about what you're going to go through post baby or again, stuff you've seen. Sounds good. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Also, can you hear the music that's playing in the background? I can, yeah. Is it okay, supposed to be? Is so, that coming from you? I was thinking, like, is this one of my neighbors just sitting outside listening to music in their car or something? Yeah. No, it's I live across the street from Academy. And, I mean, it's been quiet since March. Yeah. No, I go out there and there's parents sitting socially distanced in chairs. And they've got someone just playing elevator music for them on their guitar. Really? On the playground. Well, yeah. well it's kind of cool. That, I was like, it is. I, I heard that. I was like, this going to be in the podcast. Like, I wasn't sure. I was like, I mean, it's kind of a nice background music, but I was like, okay. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I used to have there'd be kids in the background. I didn't give a crap. They're, they're, yeah. Like, you know, the playground noise. That's fine. It's kind of a joyful noise. And yeah, occasionally on my yeah. podcast, you hear in the background but yeah for months i've been able to just do whatever i want not worry about that. <laughs> that's right. hilarious oh that's just so funny. funny okay so we talked about vaginal discharge and a couple of other mm -hmm. things but mm -hmm. i want to get deeper in things that you have found to be sort of dissatisfying because again normalizing these things so that other people are like oh my yeah. god me too i'm not and knowing what to maybe kind of like where to go for resources. So mm -hmm. first off, I mean, yes, the changing of positions and things like that is one thing, but then also mm -hmm. your libido, like really, can you share oh, with me what yeah. you feel has been different about your libido? Yeah. So, and I even asked the Google this once. So I was like, sex drive changing during pregnancy. And you swing one of two ways from what I read. It's either like you want it all the time or you want nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I definitely swung to, I want nothing to do with this. Um, I also, when I found out I was pregnant, quit my job, started a new business, recovering from hip surgery. So I had a lot going on. But yeah, my my drive just totally plummeted, like 100%. And it was just something that was just not on my mind. And that is a very unfair feeling. Like, because I think, what do I do to get it back? How do I find this? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just went out the window. And, and it's oh, funny that you bring this up because I've, I've thought about asking like a couple of my friends who've had babies be like, what was your sex drive like? And I have yet to ask those questions. And I don't know what's holding me back, um, considering I'd ask any patient that question. Right. But there was just kind of this like, ooh, is this, do my friends want to have these conversations? Because yeah, it just, nope, mine went away. 
And yeah. they say like, do it now. Cause once you have a baby, it really goes away. And so it's just, yeah, that was a shitty, that was a big shitty change when that happened. Well, you, you did also have all of those things at the same yes. time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like the, the, I definitely the had a lot. Five, I think five stressors in life are like yes. death, divorce, moving, job change, birth yeah. of child. So yes. And you, yeah, you're we bought and most sold a house. Yeah. We bought and sold a house. And we also have two practice. rentals. Yeah, we have mm-hmm. two rentals. Both of our renters moved out when we were buying and selling. Started my own business. So I'm, I'm, re- I was ready for some dust to settle. And, yeah. and yeah, and it's like when your libido changes, it's just, it's so hard on you, on your partner, and your relationship. And explaining to your partner how your body changes hormonally sometimes feels like talking to a brick wall just because, I mean, my husband's hormones are so much different than mine and it's not his fault. And it's not like he's not listening. It was just, I mean, it's just a totally different level of empathy with that. Yeah. And so that was, yeah, that's been interesting. And so that's been kind of another, oh yeah, we're definitely not as intimate anymore because of everything I have going on, including just the pregnancy. So yeah, that totally changed. So the hormone thing is very, very real. It's Uh definitely not something I ever want to discount. Yes. I, I genuinely believe that there are things that you can do to sort of combat or counteract it, but it's gotta be doing all these things to be proactive with it. Uh So, um, Things like masturbation, self pleasure, mm-hmm. which is yeah. so hard for a lot of women as it is. Not to put you on the spot on my podcast, but okay. have you been much sort of self work with just exploring your body on your own? We even just with touch, not just masturbation, but just looking at yourself in the mirror and observing your body and, and giving yourself like messages about what you do find beauty in and just mm-hmm. something that's a, a self experience like that. Have you done any of that? So, yeah, I have. And so that was kind of one thing for me was, like I mentioned kind of earlier, like clitoral stimulation for me became really intense. And so I kind of had to figure out, okay, what touch can I manage? And then Mm -hmm. once I knew, okay, here's kind of how the approach needs to be, I was then able to relay that to my partner when we were intimate to be like, hey, it's going to be better if it's just a little bit lighter. And so that's one thing I was really lucky to do and was comfortable with, just to say, I have to find out what my body likes so that I can tell my partner how my body is going to respond to his touch. So doing that was really helpful for us. And like I mentioned, the communication piece and learning the wording to say, hey, can you can you not push as hard? Can you not, can we lighten up the touch a little bit? So that's been helpful. Um, examining my body has been interesting. That's something mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with. I've struggled with body dysmorphia my whole life. And so taking on that approach has been hard, but I'll definitely like, now that the shape of my bump has changed a little bit. And like I said, I'm feeling the baby more. I feel a different connection with my body and the baby. And so recognizing that has made me more comfortable and confident with myself in front of my husband um, in the nude or kind of however, whatever layer we dress down to to be intimate but I know I can still work on it. And just finding that confidence is really hard as a woman, I think. And especially someone who's struggled my whole life with body dysmorphia, um, navigating those seas are hard. And, but it was funny when I was going back to talking about boobs, I was seeing in the mirror the other day, I was like, I could get used to this size. Like, this is actually like, this is a nice size and it felt good. And it felt good to look at my body and say, this change looks good on you. And mm-hmm. now feeling confident in that, like gives me more confidence for when my husband does touch my breast and fondle different areas. I'm like, yeah, like this is a part of who I am now. Um, so that's mm-hmm. been a fun mm-hmm. learning curve experience. I think it's those time. exercises are so important because it, yeah. it's like you say, you have to figure things out on your own. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant or not. Figuring your own body out is the best way to then talk to your partner and share with them what you need. 
Yes. And, and that's, and I see that in clinic with a lot of my patients. It's, it's masturbation and self-exploration in women is just, for men, it's the most normal thing. I mean, men start masturbating and self-exploring at such a young age and girls do too. But we just make it such an expectation for men, not for women. And yeah. really most boys have had an orgasm by their first sexual experience, whereas most girls haven't. Oh, Think gosh. Most, that. Yeah, that's so true. Most girls haven't had an orgasm. And I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if there's a research study on that, of like the average age for women to have their first. But it can be well into their 30s, 40s. I mean, at mm-hmm. any age and just and every orgasm. Like for men, we see an orgasm as an arousal phase, an ejaculatory phase. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is for women. Like a clitoral orgasm versus a vaginal penetration orgasm looks different for me. And it's going to look different to the next five women too. Mm -hmm. And so just navigating that and my orgasms change too. Um, Vaginal penetration wise, like I'm able to achieve orgasm a lot differently now being pregnant Mm -hmm. than not being pregnant. So that's been fun, like to learn that and been so a lot more to achieve orgasm in certain positions. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's been good because I've never had the strongest vaginal penetration orgasms. Mm-hmm. And so now that we do, it's kind of, it's nice because it gives me a little clitoral break and more uh, vaginal penetration. So that's been kind of nice to recognize and mm-hmm. realize that. Well, well I think personally for myself and I've talked to some clients about it and plus now that we know what we know about the actual structure of the entire clitoris with the legs and the bulbs that extend off of it do you think that perhaps it's like you mentioned having um well so if you're if you're swollen that goes to say that probably your genitals are swollen like everything else yes is it by chance that the legs of that clitoris or the bulb of the clitoris are being stimulated during penetration like from pressure or things like that as very well could be. I think that that could be something to understand about women's bodies. A lot of people don't understand that it's not just the bean. And we even as, as vulva and clitoris owners, we forget sometimes that there's all that stuff underneath there too. Oh my gosh. There's so much stuff. It's so complex. And, and yeah. And especially with it, like with my genitals being like more engorged than normal, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, way that how do I like gently describe this like the means of approach totally changed too and so mm-hmm. it was and like now if my husband like directly mm-hmm. touches my clitoris like it's way too much like way too much like it has to be mm-hmm. approached from a different manner now mm-hmm. and just recognizing that is huge and then also being able to relay that conversation to him also is such just an integral part and that's the thing like Nowhere on the internet am I reading this about pregnancy. Anyway, yeah, how to talk to your partner about what you need in yeah, the bedroom. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or how all to talk to yourself that, about what you need. All the stuff that I ever read about stuff. I mean, yes, it's been 10 years, but all the stuff that I read when I was like, we were trying to conceive. And then, you know, for the few weeks I was pregnant, it was so focused on like getting pregnant, but yeah, nothing really talked about, okay, now you're here. Now what? Yeah. And everything talks about the baby. It doesn't talk about you. Like it's, everything is so for the baby, which is good because you want to be sure you're doing everything right. But like now that we're in the second trimester, like comfortably in it, that baby's just really cooking. Like I need to still maintain (laughs) healthy lifestyles and habits but mm-hmm. I also need to take time to focus on myself to make sure I'm happy. And whether that happiness is life, job, intimacy, all the facets of life that we're taking care of all of them now mm-hmm. and not just the baby, like yes. us as moms and the carrier of the life and our partners, all those relationships are now just as integral and important. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So are there, are there things that, that women can do during pregnancy to help our bodies out for the best possible outcomes? Yeah. And I love that question. And the way, the best way to answer that is a little vague, but it's figure out where your body starts. Um, mm-hmm. I tell a lot of patients who come in for, you know, perinatal work or anything. It's, we have to find your baseline and, mm-hmm. Like for me, I've always had a shortened 
pelvic floor, I've always had like a little bit of tension in mind. So me doing Kegels every day actually wasn't good because I started having, I started having tailbone pain. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so kind of the best word to that is we have to figure out where's your body starting. And that usually is going to be with a pelvic floor assessment. Um, to get like the really true details of it to figure out is your pelvic floor shortened? Is it mm -hmm. nice, beautiful baseline or is it a little hypotonic? Is it a little weak? Because knowing that first then allows me as a clinician and you as a patient to figure out where do we need to go from here? Because um, mm -hmm. the thing is everyone, I mean, and I even have a pregnancy app that I'm using for fitness and it just gives mm -hmm. me my workouts every day. And one of the things every day is to do so many Kegels and like, I can't, like my body can't handle that because I'm mm -hmm. going to cause pain other areas. So yeah. really kind of realizing a, where you start and then B where to go. And I tell most patients, I'm like, do not do Kegels every single day. Like do maybe like 10, three times a week. Yeah. Like no one's also going to tell you to go do bicep curls. 50 every single day, you're going to crush out that system and it's going to be bad for it. And so, yeah. And so recognizing where you start, but then kind of like the general way that that really flows is going to be pelvic floor contractions, AKA Kegels, learning about your core, learning TA obliques and rectus, learning the four mm -hmm. muscles and how they fire. Um, is going to help us protect against diastasis recti, which is the abdominal separation. Um, or split down the middle. Yep, split down the middle. And teaching the body how to use those muscles to protect the severity of a diastasis because it is going to happen. Like mm -hmm. abdominal separation has to happen to accommodate a growing baby. Um, so making sure we're knowing that. Uh, relearning our diaphragm. Cause mm -hmm. that's the thing when everything moves up in the body, like when the baby grows, it just pushes all your organ structures up and there's a ton more fluid. And so learning how to breathe with our diaphragm appropriately, instead of becoming like these big upper chest breathers is going to be really important too. So those are kind of like the three things that I stress the most is well, and fourth posture. So really mm -hmm. learning where's your pelvic floor at, how to use it. Where's your core at, how to use it. Postural assessment and diaphragm use. Those are kind of like any woman that comes in to see me for pregnancy, I always address those and then address the goals that she needs to work on. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you get a lot of women that come in and see you while they're pregnant or are a lot mm -hmm. of proactive? Okay. Yeah. yeah so I see, a, I see a decent amount. We're seeing more and more. Um, so it's kind of that typically I see more women coming in and what I almost deem like a phase two of pregnancy and a phase two might be, Oh, I've started having pain and now I need to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, I see more women come in and that's going to be more from like their OB midwife referral, or I'll have some that come in or like I'm 20 weeks pregnant. I want to be sure that I do all the right stuff. I do have a few of those sprinkle in. And then mostly we see a lot more postpartum, but I want to see every woman during pregnancy because we can see them for such different phases. We can talk to them about, like I said, pelvic floor, core, posture, diaphragm. And then I've started teaching almost more of like a, a laboring aspect from a pelvic PT mentality and how to labor like during your laboring phase and your push phase and how your pelvic floor works. Because so many women also just don't know how to push out babies. And especially if you take an epidural route, you're numb from the waist down, 10 people are mm -hmm. yelling at you to push and you're not even sure if you're doing it right. And so really teaching women how to use those muscles. Um, mm -hmm. and that's going to be pelvic floor core diaphragm. It's just so important. And it's stuff that we're not taught at all. Mm -hmm. And so just making sure they know that's important. Good. Post-pregnancy, obviously uh -huh. there can be a lot of issues that come up. So we started to yes. talk about that a little bit in the beginning, but then I was just so like more enthralled with talking about pregnancy and what we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. So I think that the post baby body is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, yes. There is, there is a lot of societal expectation of, Oh yeah, your, your body just 
gets wrecked and you're going to pee your pants mm-hmm. forever. Like you mentioned, sometimes having that client come in who's been sneezing and peeing or coughing and peeing or not able to hold it until it gets to the bathroom yeah. since they had a kid 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's but everyone so- is different. Everyone's so different. I've had women come in who have had four vaginal births and they're like, oh yeah, I've never leaked once, but I have pain when we have sex. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you're right. Like the societal norms about just what babies do to your body, how you're supposed to bounce back and what your recovery should look like is very skewed. And we also live in a society where you should have your postpartum body back at six weeks postpartum and everyone's recovery looks so different and everyone's recovery looks different based on their body structure, their muscular skeletal structure. How many babies have they delivered? Have they done cesarean versus vaginal? What's their diet exercise regimen look like? And what's, what's their motivation? Like what's their goal? Um, Like my goal after I have a baby is like, I'd like to run another half marathon next year in the fall. Like that's my first goal, like for my fitness level. And so I know like the routes that I need to take and mine's not going to be, what do I look like? It's going to be how are my miles looking in due time after postpartum. Um, And recognizing I might pee a little bit during that because I might not let my body rest as much as I should. And it's just so different. And there's, you know, we always think I have so many women that come into clinic and they say, well, I've had one baby. And so of course, when I sneeze, I pee, it's just normal. I'm like, girlfriend, that is not normal. One bit. Like we have normalized all these symptoms because our bodies have carried babies. And we just say, you just have to live with it because that's what happened. And that's such a lie. Like that's your badge of honor. Like you carried a baby, you delivered it vaginally. Like, of course you pee your pants. And I'm like, no, like that's not how this works. And I think even in, I think I read the other day in France, I think they are granted 10 weeks of pelvic PT after a baby is born because they've recognized like there's so much that can be rehabbed with this to take away this whole, oh, that's just normal. Like that's what, that's what happened because you had a baby. Um, and it's just such bullshit. And it makes me so angry that, you know, as, as these women who are bearing babies come into clinic and they just say, oh yeah, my doctor just said that's normal. Like, that's just what I have to deal with. Or I, or I had hemorrhoids and that's just normal. I mean, the word normal in the pelvic PT world is like a cuss word to me. I hate that word because nothing is normal. Everything varies from person to person. And we just have to figure out what your body structure is going to allow for your new normal to look like. And we try to really change the vernacular and saying like, things are common. They're not normal. Yes. I like using that phrase or it happened. It can happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not normal, but so many people just think, oh, it's just normal. And even like my C-section patients. They're like, oh, well, it's weird. Like I didn't deliver a baby vaginally, but I have a lot of pain with sex. And I'm like, well, of course you do because that pelvic floor was, you know, changing during pregnancy. It didn't deliver a baby vaginally, which, which that's what bodies are meant to do. Like your body wasn't meant to do that, which is fine, but it's going to be a change to that change to the system and just recognizing that. And they're like, oh, I wasn't told that or so many women are not told after their C-sections to start doing scar management. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you just have this gnarly scar now because you delivered a baby cesarean. And I'm like, every C-section patient should come into pelvic PT and have scar management work done just to calm that scar down. And I have women that are like, oh yeah, I just don't even feel anything there anymore. I'm like, that's not good. Like you need sensation. Ooh. Yeah. And no. they're just like, oh, that's just normal now. I'm like, no, it's not. And so there's so much that can be managed with that. But unfortunately, our providers that are delivering our babies aren't educated on it. Just like I'm not educated how to deliver, how to deliver a baby. And so we all kind of have our own little niches. But, you know, getting the education platform on there for women to recognize and learn on their own and say, oh, I actually can advocate for myself 
and go see a pelvic PT, um, is what I'm really striving on, especially now opening, like having my own business is just a treating patients who come through the door, but also getting the information out there so they can say, I can make these decisions myself on if I want pelvic PT or not. Yeah. Well, that was all so much incredible information. And so speaking of, you left a lovely segue there. You've got your own mm-hmm. practice now. Yes, you are I helping, do. Helping with all these things and more. You have mm-hmm. uh, male patients as well. There are definitely issues. If you yes. want to hear about the things that men need support with when it comes to yes. pelvic floor therapy, you can listen to our previous episode. Mm-hmm. But if someone's looking to get treatment, they're they're pregnant, they're postpartum, or again, a man having some issues too. Yes. How do they get a hold of you? What's your business name? All the things. Yes. So my business is Encore Therapy and Performance. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook at Encore Therapy KC. I just moved this week to a new location. Um, so now I'm off Shawnee Mission Parkway in Metcalf. I'm mm-hmm. actually now, I joined up forces with a really rad group of providers. They are perinatal postpartum mental health therapists. Mm. And so in their practice, they have four or five mental health providers, me, the pelvic PT, and Casey Infant Feeding Group. So the woman who runs this, her image was to have this just awesome wellness center for women in their reproductive years to be able to get help. And mental, physically, mental, physically, and emotionally. So yeah. So now I'm out of that space. It's really awesome. Address will be on the website, on all my social media platforms. Um, I tell everyone, if you're interested, call me first for a free consult. If I can, I'd much rather talk to everyone before I get you scheduled, so that I have a good idea if we're a good fit for each other. Um, I always do free 15 minute consults and. And yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So moved to that location. I start seeing patients there this week. Congratulations on Thank you. starting your own practice. That's amazing. Thank you. So Kelsey, again, I am so happy to have had you on for a third time. You are always such a wealth of knowledge and you're Thank so you. fun. And I just, I wish you all the best things as Thank you embark you. into entrepreneur life. Because it's uh, yes. got its ups and downs. So reach out if you need anything. I definitely will. I definitely will. I also should come and see your office and um, give some cards to all yes. the folks in your office. So 100%. I know about I do with coaching. Uh, we need to make that happen. We definitely sure. need to make that happen. We will. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Kristen. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.